0: Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching, directed by God, that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. I wonder, have you ever stopped to think about yawning? I mean, yawning is one of those really weird things. Because the more you say the word, the more you talk about yawning, the more likely it is that you're actually going to yawn. I don't know about you, but it's not just when people talk about yawning as well. If you are in the same room as somebody, if you are in an eye shot of somebody who yawns, it normally starts to set you off as well, doesn't it? You sort of fall foul to this idea that yawning can become quite contagious. Now, I find yawning quite interesting as well, because I also noticed that most of us have developed a technique for trying to pretend like we're not yawning. We all know, don't we, that there are certain social circumstances where yawning would be unacceptable. So when you're talking face-to-face, one-to-one with somebody, if they're talking about something really deep and you just happen to we yawn, it's not very polite. And also in maybe a staff team meeting or a meeting in general, you don't want to do a yawn. So if you're like me, then you've developed the technique which is kind of like to purse your lips together, go like that and try to pretend like you haven't yawned. Or maybe you've developed the stretch technique, which is kind of like, I'm just leaning back, stretching the diaphragm, hopefully I'm not going to yawn. The problem is, though, is for most of us, if we are trying to hide a yawn, is that it's really hard to hide it. And most people in the room know that we are yawning, and most people then fall foul to the contagious nature of a yawn. Now, how do I know so much about yawning? Well. I've grown up in church and it's given me plenty of opportunities to yawn, not quite to the extent of Mr. Bean, but um, if I tell you that I grew up in an Anglican church and one of the pastimes during the service was for me, and I've got two sisters, for the three of us to be under the pew, giving each other Chinese burns to see how much you could squeeze a wrist before they squealed, you'll know that kind of, I've been there. It's a church by its nature seems boring, doesn't it? It's like voluntarily going to school. You're choosing to sit here for an hour, to listen to somebody talk, to in this church and in other churches sometimes sing songs that perhaps aren't even part of this century, maybe to listen to lots of different notices or things that feel irrelevant church can be boring can't it and we would love to think that here at the forge with our brilliant band and they really are brilliant and with our short notices and our engaging openers that we don't fall foul to this idea of church being boring but I know that myself and I know many of you amongst us maybe have found yourself yawning through a service here at the forge as well Did you know that the root of the word bored comes from this idea of boring into something? And that actually to really bore into something is quite a tiring and tiresome job because you're doing it repetitively over and over. And so boredom is highly equated with this idea of something being tiring, of you being tired of or with something. But here's the thing, being tired of something is actually incredibly subjective. What I find boring and what you find fascinating and like really interesting might actually be the very same thing. You only have to take cricket as an example of that. Now I can say that because our senior leader, Steve Fenning, is not in the country and he loves cricket and I find it very boring. See, boredom is actually all about perspective. And being bored with church is no different. And so you might turn up here every Sunday feeling disengaged, being annoyed at the darkness of the room or the loudness of the music or how uninspiring the talk may be. And you feel something that perhaps you once loved has now become a source of boredom for you. And so you come with that expectation, you come with that perspective. You come with the idea that church is not going to deliver what you want it to or what you need it to. And guess what? You're never disappointed because you've come with the lens that says that church is boring. Church has become a place where you expect others to entertain you and engage you, where you expect others to bring the energy and the passion and the life to create an experience that you can consume and enjoy. And see, when we are bored with church, We have become so focused on the output of other people for our own engagement that we've forgotten about the input that we have into that. So today I want to get right to the root of the issue because if boredom is all about perspective, what is your perspective of church? What's your perspective of church You see, when we look at Jesus and how he lived and the model that he set and how he taught his disciples, this thing called church as a service, it didn't exist. See, for Jesus, it was all about relationship. It was about relationship between him and God and him and other people. And in fact, when somebody came to him and said, Teacher, teach us, what is the greatest commandment? How can I live life well? What's the thing that I really need to do to live life well? Jesus' answer is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The entire law. You see, Jesus is speaking to a group of people who their whole life, their whole relationship with God, their relationship with other people, is based on a set of laws that a guy called Moses gave them over 1,500 years ago, and all the additions that were added to it by the prophets and other people since rabbis that they would have followed. See, their understanding of who they were, how they lived with God, how they lived with other people, what they should do, what was important in life and not important, they were all based on the law. And what Jesus is saying is all of those things, they can be condensed down into this thing. Love God with everything that you have and love other people like you would love yourself. That is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Love God and love one another. And this, this is the heart of church see when we relegate church to being about an experience tailored for my enjoyment and my entertainment and benefits then yes it will be boring because actually it's about me and mine but when we realize that church is about God it is about who he is about what he has done and about what he is doing in this world then church is far from boring A guy named Paul who lived a long time ago and who was um, one of the people who started a lot of the first churches. He wrote this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You see, if you're a Christian, if you've decided that you don't want to do life by yourself, if you've decided that actually you know Jesus or you want to know him and you want to live like him, you want to become more like him, you think that actually you want that, then you have his spirit living in you. That's the promise that God makes. That's the promise that God gives us, is that we have the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside us, living inside me, living inside you just stop and think about that for a moment i mean what does it take to bring something that is dead back to life i mean i'm not just talking like partially dead we mean really dead no pulse been in the tomb for 3 days kind of dead to bring that back to life well it's going to take something incredibly powerful isn't it and it's going to take something incredibly life giving but also incredibly transformative because, you know what? I'm not a doctor, but I don't really want to be around a body that's been in high heat for three days. The power of that is going to be life-giving and transformative. And what Paul is telling us is that the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He lives in me, and he can live in you if you want him to, to make us alive. Now that, I think that is anything but boring. But I wonder sometimes, for those of us that perhaps have been around church for a long time, if we've forgotten what that really means for us, means for our world. And if perhaps you're starting this new faith journey, perhaps no one's ever really explained it to you either. This idea that church isn't actually a place about services. Actually, church is a place where we encounter God, a real, life-giving, life-changing God, that's why we do what we do here at the Forge. We do it not to entertain people, but because we want to help people to find and follow Jesus. And we do that so that we can strip away all the barriers that we think might be in place so that people can engage with him, to encounter and meet with a life-transformative God and have a relationship with him. This past year, for a myriad of different reasons, I have been absolutely blown away by God's grace. You see, this year I have witnessed and I have been party to some absolute whoppers of mistakes. Mistakes that should have and would disqualify. And yet through it all, I have been reminded time and again of the absolutely amazing grace that God offers us. And not just a grace that is about forgiveness, but a grace that is about more than that. You see, God's grace has an incredible depth to it. Because God's grace that it means that he loves us in the worst moments of our lives that he forgives us, but also he offers us something more than that. He says, I see your mistake, but it doesn't disqualify you. It doesn't stop you from being who I want you to be. Because with me, I can make this different. I can make this new. I can make this better. I can give you the power to change it all. You see, I think so often we are wowed by God's forgiveness because we are so fixated on our mistake. We feel so overwhelmed by sometimes the mistakes and the things that we do wrong that we're like, God, your forgiveness is so great. And we fail to see the narrative where God says, yes, you've made a mistake, but I forgive you. And I am not done with you yet. I have so much more for you. See, we so easily overlook the amazing grace of God that says, in the midst of our worst places, in the midst of our earth-shattering fails, that should disqualify us, that actually God says to you, it doesn't, it doesn't, I have something better for you. And actually he whispers into our ear and he says, see, see, I am doing a new thing in you and through you. Because God doesn't just offer us forgiveness. He offers us life. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as, Jesus brought, as, just as God brought Jesus back to life, he can restore the most broken places in your life, the most hurt and painful places in your life. Not just making them as they were before, but making them better, making them new, completely undeserved, Because that's who God is. And that's what he offers us in this world. Life transformation. Now Paul who wrote that about the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead living in us. He knew that because he wrote this. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. You are a new person. Now this isn't written by a guy who's making niceties, who's trying to make us feel nice. This is written by a guy who knew this personally, first hand. Because you see, at first glance, Paul looks like a pretty amazing guy. See, Paul is responsible for writing about over half of the New Testament, the part of the Bible that was written after Jesus died and went to heaven. He wrote letters to the churches telling them about who God is, about how God works in the world, about who they are in God, and about how they should live life together, what church is all about. And actually, he started many of the early churches. Seems quite impressive, doesn't it? But actually, it wasn't always that way. In fact, he hadn't always been called Paul. He'd been born named Saul. And he had grown up as a devout Jew in a very impressive Jewish line. Now when Jesus' disciples began sharing who Jesus was with people and as people started to believe in who Jesus was and what he said about himself and what he'd done and about how they could have life through him, as they started to follow, actually the disciples started to gather quite a following. But the devout Jews didn't like that. Because, see, it was the following happened to be within the Jewish community. See, we think the disciples would have started to think, oh, yeah, I need to start this thing called Christianity. But actually what the disciples really did was they just followed Jesus' instructions to go and make disciples. And so they did that with the people that they had relationship with around them. They weren't planning to set up something separate. They weren't planning to start something called Christianity. They just wanted to do what God had asked them to do. But the devout Jews were really, really against it and anti it because they considered these people to be a sect and a sect that needed to be stamped out. And that's exactly what Saul thought. In fact, Saul, before his conversion, he was so horrified by the claims of this new movement that he tells us that he violently persecuted people in an attempt to snuff it out before it could cause too much damage. You see, Paul was directly involved in killing Jesus' disciples. Think about that. Paul, one of the guys that we consider to be one of the most famous Christians, was directly involved in killing Christians. Last week, Johnny talked and asked about the question, what is your mess? What, it is, what is it that's in your life that is messy, that you want to hide from people because you want to try to pretend that you're better than that? What is it that makes your life messy, that makes you feel disqualified, like you've messed up? What is it that makes you feel utterly ashamed? I'd hazard a guess that it wouldn't kind of fit into the categories of killing Christians. But what Paul tells us, but also what his life shows us is that whatever it is that you think makes your life messy, that disqualifies you from doing something or having a relationship with God or having a good relationship with other people, that means you think, I can't possibly do that. What Paul's life says is that doesn't have to define you and it doesn't have to hold you back. See, Paul could stand there and go, you know what? I killed Christians. I'll follow Jesus, but that's as far as I'll go. No, instead what his life tells us is that God brings restoration. He brings an entirely new, undeserved, grace-filled life. Because you see, Paul knew firsthand the enormous transformative power of God. Because he moved from being a man who killed Jesus' followers to being the greatest advocate to be a follower That is the transformative power of Christ in us. That is the hope of the world. That where we feel broken, where we feel ashamed, Jesus reaches into the depths of our lives and to the depths of who we are to bring wholeness and healing. And where relationships are broken, he steps in and miraculously changes them. Where we need hope, where we need life to come, he brings it And when we think that we haven't got a hope of being anything different, when we feel like this is who we are, we cannot possibly change it, God comes along and he says, no. You see, Jesus' love moves people from slavery to friendship. He moves people from trapped and broken and needy places to places of restoration, of renewal, of belonging. That is the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, living in us. But Paul also knew something greater than that. He knew that it wasn't just about him. Which is why in the passage where he talks about being a new creation, he also goes on to say this. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God this this is what church is about he has given us a wonderful message of reconciliation we are Jesus's ambassadors on earth for this life of amazing grace you see church is not about whether we're entertained or not or whether we liked the music or not whether we found the talk engaging or not Though here at the Forge, we want those things to be good because we don't want them to be barriers. But actually, in essence, church is about helping each other to experience this level of grace. This level of transformation that says you are not defined by your mistakes. You are able to be better than that. Not because you are better, but because Jesus is better. I want you to imagine that there is a masterpiece here on stage and it's a masterpiece that has been around for a long time and it is dirty and it's grubby and it's grimy it's been neglected and perhaps even majorly damaged. Can you imagine how exciting it would be to see somebody stand here and restore that masterpiece to its former glory? That that is what God does in you. That is what he does in me. And I think that is the most exciting thing that there ever possibly is. See, I have the privilege of working for the Forge Church. And one of the things that I do as part of my role is to oversee 10-month groups. And one of the things that I love every single year is I love the privilege of leading a 10-month group. Because it's in that environment that I see people find that God is present in their life that God is working in their life to change things, that he's changing situations, he's speaking to them, he's teaching them, he's loving them in the very moments that they have. You see, they discover that God is active and alive and working. Now, I love it when I see God doing that in my life. I think it's incredibly faith-building when I see that God answers my prayers. But there is something incredibly exciting about seeing it happen in the life of somebody else as well. And so I'd like to state for the record, I'm going to pin my colours in the mast and say, I think it is impossible for church, the true meaning of that word, church, in terms of a group of people gathered together to love God and to love one another, it is impossible for church to be boring because it is about life transformation. It is about my life being transformed, but other people's lives being transformed too because it is about the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. It's not about roles and rotors. So here's my challenge to you. If you are finding church boring, then you need to shift your perspective. Because your perspective is failing to see the adventure that God has for you. The adventure that he has in his relationship with you, but the adventure that he has in your relationship with other people around you as well. So how do you move from having a perspective of being bored with church to a perspective that sees that Jesus is doing this in you and in other people? Well, firstly, I think it starts with this, gratitude. It starts with this idea of having an attitude of gratitude. See, when you are bored, it's often because you're disengaged. And actually an outward sign of that is to have a critical attitude. But when we start to think about the role that we can play, the role that God has played in our lives, what other people have done for us, we start to shift our lens from being one of critical to one of grateful. And as we do that, we can start to be thankful for who God is, about the grace that he's shown in our life, the things that he has done and given to us. But we can also be grateful for the people who have worked in our lives too. Secondly, recognize that you have a purpose. You see, you are part of this amazing story. Paul says that we are Jesus' ambassadors in this world. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then it's not an opt-in, opt-out kind of thing. If you're a follower, if you're part of his family, then you are an ambassador, whether you like it or not. Your life and your words speak volumes about what you think about God and what he's doing in your life. So recognize that you have a role to play in seeing lives transformed. There are people here in church, whether in kids' church, or in Motion, our youth thing, or whether it's in adults. There are people who need you to step up, to play a role in their lives, to encourage them, to teach them, to guide them. to more about who God is and to encourage them to engage with this transformative relationship. He has people beyond these doors that he has put you in relationship with as well. People who he says, I want you to show them how much I love them. I want you to talk to them about the things that I've done in your life so that they can know that too. So you need to step out of your comfort zone and you need to recognize that you have a purpose to step into the calling that God has for your life. And then thirdly, engage. See, boredom is an outward sign of disengagement. So to counter that, actively decide that you are going to engage. Perhaps it's about engaging, first of all, with God, spending time praying, maybe spending time reading your Bible, but also engage with other people. Sign up to a 10-month group. You go to our website, you'll tell you which ones have got spaces. Sign up to a serving team. Engage with people. Engage with relationship. Because church is more than just roles and rotors. It's about relationship. To so step into those relationships and see and ask, what's God doing in your life? How can I come alongside that? How can I encourage that in you? But also, lastly, engage with this transformative power, this grace, the depth of grace that God has for us. Engage with it for yourself. Maybe today or tonight, when you get a moment, half an hour to yourself, if you have half an hour at some stage, to just sit and think, what is it personally that you feel disqualifies you? What is it that you feel makes you less of a Christian, or a person, or a leader, or less likely to be able to have this relationship with God? Write it down. It might be one thing, it might be 20 things, but write them down, and then destroy that piece of paper, because there's something about doing a physical thing like that that reminds us, that doesn't stand between you and God. God says, I love you in your mess, but you are not your mess. You are better than that. And I am going to do something better. I am going to bring life where there was no life. See, the Forges vision is to help people to find and follow Jesus. It's not to entertain people on a Sunday Sunday. And we want to do that by creating a church community that unchurched people love to be a part of. And there is something incredibly attractional about a group of people who love one another in a way which forgives each other, which shows grace and mercy to one another. And all of this through not a selfish ambition or motive, but simply to show a love for God and a love for one another. Because that's what Jesus instructs us to do. Honestly, when we understand and remember that church at its very core is about Jesus, revolutionary, life-giving, life-changing Jesus, when we understand that we have a purpose to play in helping others to engage with this transformative grace, then church, God is far, far from war. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find the next step, give financially or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the Ford. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.